Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, connect with me on social media, and join the Travel Club. Well, joining me today is Takesha Burton, a wife, mother, and creator of Mama Wanderlust. It's a blog and guide to inspire parents to travel with their children to unique places. She has some great tips for traveling with your family and generational travel, so you don't want to miss that. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, we're going to get into a little travel news. There's a whole lot happening, especially as it pertains to COVID and travel restrictions and what's going to happen this summer. So the CDC has extended its mask mandate for planes and trains until May 3rd. So from April 18th, which was the most recent expiration date for masks on planes, that's what we're mostly talking about. It has been extended until May 3rd. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has decided to extend that federal mask mandate, citing the rapid spread of the Omicron subvariant BA.2, which now makes up more than 85% of COVID cases in the United States. The CDC said it needed more time to monitor a recent uptick. Many of the nation's airlines have pushed hard to have the government lift the mandate. And last month, CEOs of all major US airlines wrote to the administration to stop requiring masks on planes. One business executive wrote, it makes no sense that people are still required to wear masks on planes, yet are allowed to congregate in crowded restaurants, schools, and at sporting events without masks, despite none of these venues having the protective air filtration system that aircraft do. The group said the burden of enforcing the mask mandate has fallen on their employees, saying this is not a function they are trained to perform and subjects them to daily challenges and frustrated customers. This, in turn, takes a toll on their own well-being. There's political pressure, too. Several Democratic senators last March joined Republicans in a 57 to 40 Senate vote to overturn the requirement, although that bill hasn't been taken up in the House. The CDC decision is to keep the status quo for just a little bit longer comes as the nation has entered an unprecedented phase in the pandemic. Much of the country is still exhibiting substantial spread of the virus, but hospitalizations and deaths have dropped since January. The CDC, though, has argued that travel on airplanes, trains and buses presents a unique risk, including the possible rapid introduction of a dangerous new variant from overseas. There's a lot of mixing, a lot of international travel that it's hard to disentangle. This is according to the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky. 
There's also an issue with the number of unruly passengers on planes that have spiked during the pandemic. This year alone, the Federal Aviation Administration has received 1,150 reports of unruly passengers, 744 of which were related to face masks. And just before the extension was announced, the head of the group that lobbies on behalf of all U.S. major airlines doubled down on the call for getting rid of the masks and pre-departure testing requirements. Neither restriction is currently supported by data and science in today's public health environment, says Nick Calio, CEO of Airlines for America, in a letter to the administration officials. Well, just as that's being said, mask mandates are coming back in some places. Many states are reinstating their indoor mask mandates with COVID-19 cases rising. At least one major city is reinstating that indoor mask mandate. Travelers might have to hold on to their masks for just a little bit longer. As the daily number of reported COVID cases is moving upward again in the United States, that's driven by the highly transmissible Omicron BA2 subvariant, at least in one major city. The percentage of Americans who say they always wear a mask in public has dropped to just 23%. That's the lowest since April 2020. According to tracking data from the University of Washington in Seattle, notably, vaccinated Americans are more than twice as likely, 70%, as unvaccinated Americans at 32% to report wearing a mask in public places regularly. And this data is per the Pew Research Center. At the same time, testing has also significantly dropped off. So getting a handle on the true number of daily infections has become more difficult for officials. According to the University of Washington's latest estimate, the true number of daily infections is likely to be nine times higher than what is being reported. That enormous gap amounts to roughly 282,000 COVID cases going unreported just in one day. Also factored into the mix is that from coast to coast, most cities and states have eliminated indoor mask mandates, leaving the decision on whether or not to wear a mask up to the individual. The Washington, D.C. mayor allowed vaccination and indoor masking mandates to expire at the end of February and the city health department stopped reporting daily COVID cases back in March. Within weeks, outbreaks in the nation's capital resulted in some very high-profile COVID positive cases among cabinet secretaries and Congress members, along with the mayor herself. And since last week, four prominent universities in the D.C. area, Georgetown, American, George Washington, and John Hopkins, have reinstated mandatory masking and testing requirements due to the rise in positive COVID cases amongst students. There's also a surge of new infections in New York City, and it's also impacted Broadway theater where mask and vaccine policies will remain in effect until at least the end of April. Some performances of Plaza Suite and Macbeth were canceled after cast members tested positive for COVID-19. Rising COVID infections led Philadelphia officials to reinstate its mask mandate effective last week. Just five weeks ago, the city of brotherly love dropped its indoor mask mandate requirement but as COVID cases ticked upward, the city health department has decided to put the brakes back on. Well, let's talk about something 
little bit lighter. The wildflowers are in bloom again. Travel and Leisure has listed the 10 best U.S. national parks to visit wildflower season. Yes, that's a thing, wildflower season. And it's really beautiful. I think we all take notice as spring is in bloom when we see the flowers coming up, although the weather's been crazy lately. So if you're planning a trip this spring and summer to the national parks, here are some of the 10 best national parks to visit during this season, especially for wildflowers. Glacier National Park, the wildflowers grow at elevation in Glacier National Park, Montana. They have fields of glacier lilies and they're amongst nearly 1,000 species of wildflowers. The blooms happen between spring and summer. And come spring, you have lower elevation. And in the summer, you will have higher elevation spots. The glacier lilies grow between 3,000 to more than 7,000 feet. And you can also try hiking the trails. There's the Great Smoky Mountains with more than 1,500 flowering plants. Great Smoky Mountains National Park boasts more, most flower species across all of the United States National Parks. They have things like the lady slipper orchids, which appear from February to April. And by summer, you have the black-eyed peed Susans, coneflowers, and a sea of other wild flowers. And then at the end of the year, you have the yellow witch hazel from October to January. Shenandoah, I love Shenandoah. You can do the Skyline Drive in Virginia, but they have some touch-me-nots and some sunflowers. Also the violets and large flowered trilliums from March to August. Mount Rainier National Park, where you'll find magenta gold and blue shades throughout the park's subalpine meadows in late July and August. There's the Segura National Park. You have poppies and desert chicory and the Redwood National Park. The wildflowers there emerge between January and September. They have the Golden Mission Bells, Forget-Me-Nots, Periwinkles, California Poppies, and Western Dog Violets. Take a nice hike and take in the scenery and marvel at the beautiful wildflowers. Now JetBlue is cutting summer schedules. Actually, a lot of airlines are cutting summer schedule flights. The reason is shortage of staff and high fuel prices. So you wanna make sure if you don't have your reservations now, you wanna go ahead and make your reservations because prices are going to go up. There are going to be fewer flights and you wanna make sure that you're on top of things. So you have JetBlue who in May alone will cut the capacity from eight to 10% and United Airlines is cutting flights to four popular cities from their Cleveland departure. And a lot of them are some of their smaller, more regional flights. American Airlines and Southwest Airlines are cutting summer flights because of delayed Boeing jets for American. But primarily, there's a different list of reasons why different airlines are cutting schedules. But the two top reasons are staff shortage, pilots especially, and also surging fuel prices. But the demand for travel is pre-pandemic level. So yes, you can do the math there. Fewer flights and more people traveling. How about instead of an airplane, you book an American Airlines ticket and you wind up on a bus? <laughs> yeah, you heard that right. Actually, they're not the only airline that is doing this. And they are really grappling with 
a pilot shortage. And of course, those rising fuel costs as well. So when you have these jets that used to service these smaller, more regional routes, they're looking to partner with Landline, a bus company, to resume service at particular destinations where it flew before the global pandemic. Yes, and it's being labeled as a new route. For example, United Airlines to serve a number of ski destinations in Colorado with Sun Country Airlines in Minnesota, but also American Airlines, who previously flew to Lay Valley Airport near Allentown, Pennsylvania, suspended flights in May 2020, will now be offering a bus route with Landline from Philadelphia to the Lay Valley Airport, which is about 70 miles away. American Airlines will also offer the same service to passengers who are bound for Atlantic City in New Jersey, a distance that's about 56 miles. It has not flown to Atlantic City before. Its predecessor, U.S. Airways, flew the route but dropped the service in 2003. The short hop is not considered profitable enough given especially the fuel economy for small jets. So the new service American Airlines plans to introduce involves having passengers clear security at Atlantic City or Allentown and then be delivered directly to a gate at Philadelphia. The American Airlines new travel concept appears to be closely modeled after the United Airlines bus as flight connection to the Newark Liberty Airport in New Jersey, which is 78 miles away. Landline, the bus company contracted by American Airlines, advertises making more of your trip the easy part by partnering with airlines and the TSA to bring the airport to you. It pitches its buses as both fuel efficient and green. That's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back... We'll have a conversation with Taikisha Burton, wife, mother, and creator of Mama Wanderlust. So don't go anywhere. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com. Also, make sure you connect with me on social media and don't forget to join that travel club. We go to some fantastic places and we would certainly love for you to join us. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Planning to go on your next trip, just know, especially if you're going to another country, but sometimes even within your own country, going to a different region, you're going to experience different types of foods. You're going to experience different types of spices. You're even going to experience different types of water treatment. The chemicals that we use to purify the water is different from state to state and certainly in other countries as well. Of course, it's highly recommended that you drink bottled water, but that's not always a cure-all for everything because what about ice? What about what your fruits and vegetables are washed in? So there's water that you can come in contact with that's not just for drinking. And you want to protect your gut health. And two ways that you can really do that. One is to take a regular probiotic. 
Now, I'm not a healthcare professional, but this is a recommendation that I've been using from my own doctor and from our healthcare professional who joins us often, Yolanda Como. But taking a probiotic on a regular basis will certainly help that gut health and your immune system. There's another trick that I learned some years ago during my travel, and that is to eat yogurt, plain yogurt, not the sugary kind or the kind that's not really yogurt at all. You know what I mean? But you want a plain yogurt, a real yogurt that has active enzymes. And with that, it'll help balance the bacteria in your gut. So it's very good for balancing that. Start about a week before your travels and eat at least a quarter cup throughout your travels. Every morning for breakfast, maybe have it just a few tablespoons full and you may find that it will help your gut health throughout your travels. This is Javon and that was your Travel Minute. Joining me today is Takesha Burton, a wife, mother and creator of Mama Wanderlust, a blog and guide to inspire parents to travel with their children to unique places. Takesha is also the author of a moon travel guidebook on Washington, D.C. Well, hello, Takesha, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, and thank you for having me. I was so excited to have you on today because I think we need to talk more about travel and especially getting families and families with children to travel. It's such a wonderful thing. And I think it's something that's so lasting and really imprints on young people. So as you write to inspire others, what sparked your wanderlust? Well, I'm originally from Miami, Florida, and that is a melting pot of Caribbean and South America. So many of my childhood friends and neighbors were immigrants. So I'd hear stories, these wonderful stories of their home countries. And I just had a longing to see it for myself and experience for for myself. So uh, that kind of sparked it. And also I'm an avid reader. So because my family didn't necessarily have money when I was younger to travel, I traveled through books, just all these wonderful adventures I took by reading books. I'm always interested in what inspired people to travel, because I think we all have that story and it shapes who we are. And it also shapes how we travel, what we look for when you travel. So it sounds like the families that you came in contact with really kind of shaped not only your desire, but your opinion of travel as well. And I find that your blogs are very insightful. I was trying to pick and choose which blog to really talk to you about because (laughs) I was really happy and impressed with all of the ones that you listed and some of your travel tips and hacks. But more specifically, families traveling. And one of your posts that really stuck out for me was how to travel more with a full-time job and a family. Because, you know, when we really think about it, time and money are those two biggest challenges that we have. That's in general, I think, in life. But I think even more so when you think of travel, that's two of the main reasons I think people often cite as not traveling is time and money. So what's the first step in your strategy for those with a full-time job to carve out that time to travel? Well, thank you for that. I'd say the first step would be to take short weekend trips. Think of destinations that might be within, say, like an hour or two drive from home that you can visit in a day trip. 
Um, if you do it in a day trip, it might be a little exhausting, but you save money on lodging. And then if you have enough money for lodging, maybe for one night, I'd suggest that you pick a location maybe within two to four hours and make it a weekend get away from home. So since we're in the Washington, D.C. area, we're close to so many great destinations within two to three hours. So we have a lot of options. I would certainly agree with you on that. Being born and raised in Washington, D.C., and now, as it's been dubbed, the DMV. (laughs) (laughs) Right. D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, you do have a lot of opportunities there and a lot of different landscapes. And it was certainly some of the things that we did as children. We took day trips to the beach, to Annapolis, Chesapeake Bay, all of those things. So um, thank you for saying that, because I think uh, oftentimes when we think about travel, we think of it as this great big expense and we have to spend so much time away doing it, but there's so much in our own backyards. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of those other great tips for someone who really wants to see the world? Well, I would save my money. One thing I did when I was uh, young and single, I actually had a part-time job. I saved up my money for my part-time job to pay off some debt to create more of a cushion in my budget so that I could travel to far-flung places. So I've been able to see quite a bit of the world with my family and before I even had a family. So I'd say definitely find a way to create a cushion within your budget if possible. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes to that saying, you live to work or work to live. And so certainly if you have some Mm -hmm. goals in mind, then you're going to work to live a fuller life. And it's an easier pill to swallow when you have to put in some more hours or take on some seasonal work or some part-time work. If you know the end result means that you can take a fabulous vacation. (laughs) Quite the incentive. (laughs) But you said something, you said before you had children and the family and all of that, of course, you said you had student debt too, but... <laughs> People often say it's easy because you don't have children. So how do we change that narrative that doesn't just apply to a single person without children? Well, we got to keep it real. Travel can be stressful. Full stop. Just in general, travel can be stressful. Actually getting to the airport on time and finding parking, it's all stressful. So it goes without saying that traveling with little people is a bit more (laughs) stressful. But even though it's difficult, it's not impossible. And it's really something special to see and experience something for the first time through the eyes of your child. It brings on a whole new perspective and it makes all the extra work so worth it. Again, so many of the things that you say I can really relate to. I don't have children, but I remember growing up and as I mentioned earlier, going out to Chesapeake Bay, going to Annapolis, you know, one of the things we did every summer and my parents took us crabbing and that was such an experience. But as an adult, when I look back, and I realized, you know, my parents always took us to the beach. Neither one of them can swim. And so <laughs> <laughs> they always said, we just lived vicariously through you. So I think that's in essence what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. And we may have done it a million times, but when you see it in your children's eyes and you actually can see them absorbing and learning something new, those are lessons that, like you said, stick with you for life. They won't forget that cultural lesson or that vocational lesson. Crabbing is a huge industry. That's something great for kids. We actually did that as well. My kids still talk about how they've caught this one crab. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> 
but they remember it. And it's a great learning tool. Travel is the best learning. It certainly is. And and we're laughing, folks, because if you're not from the East Coast or the Southeast and you're not getting blue crabs, then you don't understand (laughs) that one crab's not going to (laughs) feed one person, (laughs) let alone a whole family. It's not like the Alaskan king crab legs. You need a bushel. (laughs) (laughs) So usually you go crabbing for fun, but then you go buy a bushel. (laughs) There you go. It's experience. Uh, it's, it's definitely the experience. Now, what about families with multiple children? Because if you're talking about a family of five, you know, mom, dad, and two or three children, they're on a tight budget. How do we manage that? One thing I highly suggest is to look into booking a vacation rental instead of a regular hotel or even a hotel with a kitchenette. When you have a large family, you can save a lot of money by cooking one meal per day. Because when you go out and you're on vacation, you're already out doing an experience. So you're probably going to grab lunch. And then I truly believe that learning about a culture, we were really big on culture and history. And I truly believe that cuisine is a part of that. And experiencing a destination's cuisine is a part of the experience of absorbing and learning about a destination. So I try to at least have one meal out while we're on vacation to experience that. And it doesn't have to be a far-flung destination. It can be Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They're going to do something different than the way we do it at home. So it's just all about learning, education, culture. And to save a lot of money, you can just make your own breakfast or, you know, one day you have lunch. So most trips we take, we try to have a hotel or some type of vacation rental where we can make our breakfast, or, you know, have a quick little sandwich between excursions, you know, just to save money. And when you're talking about three times a day, five people, that is a lot of money you can save. It's a huge amount. It's even a huge amount for two people because <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, last time I went to the restaurant just last week, I'm like, oh my goodness, when has everything gone up so much? I mean, just, you know, you have to really think about it because if you're getting you know, an appetizer and a salad and then an entree and a dessert, you're spending well over $100 a person in some cases. Absolutely. And I do love if you're in a vacation rental, being able to get up and fix your own breakfast, because sometimes you just don't want to have to put on clothes immediately, you know, jump up and go out just to get some breakfast. And the other point that you (laughs) talked about with that cultural experience, you can even maybe buy some of the local produce and products and maybe get experimental. But yeah, it is. I agree. It's a huge, huge savings. And it's fun too. And I think it promotes some more family time too. Yes, it does. Now, What if you have paid leave? Because, you know, we're talking about time and money, of course, but we're talking about time most importantly. And I actually read a study. It's according to new research that was done in the U.S. Travel Association and Oxford Economics that so many Americans leave paid vacation days on Mm. the Mm. table. Travesty. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) But listen to this. More than 55% of workers reported that they did not use all of their allotted time off. And some of these statistics are from 2019, Mm -hmm. but some of them were also for 2020 when we were all locked down and it really had some time to do things. It was amazing that people still, maybe because of uncertainty, left so much vacation time on the table. So there's actually two questions here. What if you have the paid leave, but you need to use it for something else? 
Okay. So I know about that. Like I said before, I'm from Miami. And while that sounds like a wonderful tropical destination is home for me. So sometimes home, there's an emergency or I have to get home and I have to use my leave to fly home. So I'd say if you're short on paid leave or you have to use it for something else that you just make the most of your weekends. I mean, there's a way I used to just fly home right after work. I'd run out, get to the airport, fly out on a Friday and come home Monday morning or late Sunday night to take care of family obligations at home in Miami. Another thing you can do is be a tourist in your own city. You can just explore your own backyard. You said that earlier and I vouch for that. I promise you there's always something you can learn. We recently took a walking tour of historic DC. It was the U Street Corridor. And I learned so much stuff. I've been here for 20 years and I learned so much stuff on a two hour walk around a neighborhood that I drive by all the time. If you just become a tourist in your backyard, go to a neighboring town or a city, I think those are great ways to maximize what time you have, even if you have to use your leave for other things. Yeah. And I think the importance is really just to have some of that time for that exploration and to enjoy yourself. Again, going back to the work-life balance, if we kind of get out of the mindset of having to get on a plane Mm -hmm. and go somewhere far off to consider that vacation, because there's so many things that you can do. And sometimes we don't often see the forest for the trees. But for example, a lot of times when my family will visit me here in Chicago, which is where I now live, I find myself doing those touristy things with them. And saying, you know, this is so much fun and I never do that. And I'm right here, (laughs) but I want to show them that experience. And you just discover so many things that's wonderful about your own city. Yes, it is. Now, there's the other side to that, that today, especially so many people are working multiple part time positions with no leave. So you know, how are they going to carve out that time? And then the money when you're talking about not having any paid leave at all. That is an excellent, excellent question. I have actually been in that situation. I had to borrow leave from myself after having some complications during my last pregnancy. So my paid time off, my PTO was literally negative. It was a negative amount. So when you're in a low or negative PTO status, I would say you have to take the shorter trips, especially over holiday weekends. I would also suggest you check in with your employer's human resources department or a supervisor to find out if there are any options for you to earn time via comp time, compensation time, or if there's a remote work option where you can work from home and possibly travel and work on your vacation. I know it doesn't sound ideal, but (laughs) maybe you can work from a beach somewhere. Or you can ask if there's a flexible or alternative week work schedule. So for example, if you switch to a 10-hour workday and your regular day off is on a Monday or Friday, you could have a three-day weekend every week. And if you just use one day of paid time off that you earn, you have four days to do something fun. Yeah, I really love that because I don't think that we even think we can negotiate or ask for some additional options or assistance from our employer to help us with that vacation time. I think so many times we just work with what we have and consider that's it. There's nothing more we can do, but maybe ask and say, what else can I do to either earn some more time off or whether it's overtime or as you said, the flex. And, you know, you're right. You can work on vacation. It's not ideal, but it certainly is better than sitting in the office. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather work beachside any day. 
Yeah, and I'm quite sure you can manage or negotiate maybe some half days and then you designate certain times of the day where you're working and then you have the rest of the time off and you're still there with your family. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful suggestions and ideas. Now, we can't say time, of course, without money, as we said earlier. And I noticed that on your site, in your various blogs, you had some wonderful travel hacks. As a matter of fact, on this particular one, you said, ask me about travel hacks. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm asking you about travel hacks and how do we save some money on travel? Um, I would say the biggest one, the biggest is to be flexible. And when I say flexibility, I mean, across the board, be flexible with where you travel and when you travel. So if you have a certain rigid dates that you have to move around with that makes traveling cheaper, harder, you'll find cheaper dates. If you allow like a flight deal may come up, some of the best flight deals I've seen are to destinations that weren't at the top of my list. So there might be a flight that leaves at 6am in the morning, not ideal, but it's probably a lot cheaper or it might leave at 1159 at night. And if you need to save money, you have to be flexible. Mm -hmm. I would highly suggest to sign up for a flight deal websites. There are a ton of newsletters you can sign up for. A lot of them are free. There's some that are paid subscriptions. These websites will send you email alerts to let you know when airfare is on sale. And that's like really a lot lower than normal. Or you can set up some type of Google alert if you absolutely have to travel during a certain time. You can actually put it in the computer in a search and then set an alert and it will send you an email when the fares go down. Again, such wonderful tips because being flexible is really going to allow you that. And you mentioned the 6 a.m. flight. We all hate getting up that early in the morning, but I have to tell you, you're less likely to have a canceled or delayed flight when it's the first flight out in the morning. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And you love getting to the destination early. You hate leaving, but you really love getting to the destination early. So there are some benefits to that early morning flight. Yes, there is. (laughs) Now, you know, of course, saving money on travel, but what about saving money to travel? Because that's a very different question. Oh, yeah. I think it's all about priorities. It's definitely a different ballgame to have money to travel to even start with. So you can save a little money every paycheck, even if it's $25. It really adds up. I put $50 every paycheck into my travel fund. And if you save for one year, that's $1,300 at $50 biweekly. And $650 for $25 biweekly. And that amount might not be enough for your dream vacation, but it's certainly a start. We cut back on eating out as a family. It saves us a bunch of money. I've started making coffee at home. I love fancy coffee, but you know, fancy coffee costs fancy money. And if you have some surplus, you can really make a surplus in your monthly budget if travel is a priority. You said the magic words, if travel is a priority, you, you really have to want to travel. And if you're making excuses why you can't, you will never see that as something in your near or far future. So I agree with that 100%. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because it then gives you the thought that I have to plan for this, I have to save for this and maybe make some sacrifices for it. And some of the sacrifices that you mentioned, it's not giving up a lot to 
make your own coffee. And guess what? You can buy fancy coffee that you make at home, which is still going to be a lot less than if you were to go to a coffee shop and buy it. Yep, absolutely. Because I don't give up my lattes. I have my fancy lattes <laughs> every morning with my oat milk here at home. And I bought myself one of those little whiskers so that I can whisk make and follow up my absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have my coffee shop coffee here at home. Very important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only spending like a dollar a cup, right? <laughs> As opposed to six dollars. <laughs> you know what? I'm shocked every time I go to the airport and I will go ahead and splurge and get my fancy latte at the airport. But yeah, each time it creeps up another 50 cents, another 50 cents. And it's almost at $7 now. Yeah, it's very high. Yeah, it, it is. So I think just by cutting out coffee every morning, and especially <laughs> if you're getting $5, 6 or $7 coffee, just think about that. That's every day. We have to do the math on that. Let's just say $5 times 365. It's $1,800. That is a trip somewhere fabulous. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <certainly>. <laughs> At least a flight. <laughs> it certainly is. And something I need to work on that you said is cutting back on the number of meals out. And I think it's all of the little things. That's what you're really saying. It's just kind of think of all of the little things that you do on a daily basis. What can you cut back on or give up a little bit? But And that's going to be or equal a big savings at the end of the year. Absolutely. Just small yeah. little things. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful tips. But no, I'm not giving up my coffee, but I'm going to make <laughs> it here at home. <laughs> and I think it's even better, actually, because now I have it down to a science. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are some of your most tried and true travel hacks? You know, sometimes people give you advice and tips and things, but what are the ones you go to? My go-to, like I said before, the flight deals are definitely a must if you're trying to save money. I personally, when I'm searching for flights, I use incognito mode or privacy mode on my computer browser. And I've read that it doesn't work, but it works for me. I have saved money on rental cars and flights. So I've seen the difference with it being on and off because there's something about cookies and these websites. Cause I don't know if you've ever noticed, sometimes you're looking for a flight and you keep looking for the same flight and the same date, same destination. And you'll look 10 minutes later and it's like a hundred dollars more. There's something with some type of algorithm and the cookies that are happening behind the scenes where they know they being the travel companies or the computers know that you really want this flight. And they know that the likelihood of you changing your mind is low. So <laughs> their odds of getting you to pay more is higher when you don't have flexibility or they know for sure that you're going to buy that ticket. So I found personally that using incognito mode or privacy mode, that has saved me a lot of money. You know, I always forget to use that on my desktop, but I do use it on my phone. So what you're saying in essence, for those who may not understand exactly what's being said <laughs> is that, you know, there are what they call imprints where the computer remembers what you've done. And not only that, if you ever think about something you've looked up and then you have emails for that same blouse yeah. or skirt <laughs> that you've been looking Absolutely. for, it's like, here it is, here it is. So it is those algorithms, but it's also just how they use your information to sell you things. And I don't know if you recall, but a few years back, someone put that to the test. These two gentlemen went online and looked up airfares. And I think it may have been with Delta, but one logged into their frequent flyer account on Delta and one did not. And the one that logged in 
again, because of the memory, quoted him a higher fare than the one that went on incognito and looked up a fare. So it's been tested. Yeah. So now you're another person that's saying it definitely works. So rather than saying, okay, you've looked at this a couple of times, we know you're going, so we're going to up the fare a little bit (laughs) versus somebody who's just checking it for the first time. Well, that's a great one. So what are some of the other go-to travel hacks for yourself? Well, if you're traveling with little ones, I always tell people to please pack an entire outfit in their little book bags because it's Murphy's Law. Something's going to spill. Something's going to happen. And when I say an entire outfit, I mean outerwear, underwear, and shoes because we've had it all happen on planes. I also would suggest that people always remember that travel is an experience. It's an adventure. And I have always been rather frugal. So I will save and make little small cuts throughout the trip. Maybe we don't stay in a lavish vacation rental. We'll stay in a small one so that I can have one night at this luxury place. And you'd have to treat yourself. And even though some of us have little people, these are our trips too. Parents matter. So make this trip your trip as well. Do what you need to do for you to make yourself happy in addition to your children. And we do multi-travel with my mom. We bring her with us. And my biggest travel hack is to bring grandma if you can, or a trusted friend or family member when you're traveling with little people, because it makes all the difference with me and my husband. We're able to take a date night or just go out for a quiet drink and walk. Like those are transformative experiences that just those little things help to make the trip so much more special. How do we get more of you, more information, and follow you and your travel inspirations? You can find me on my blog at mamawanderlust.com, and that's spelled M-O-M-M-A-W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T.com. And I'm on Instagram at the Wanderlust Mama. Well, thank you so much. And I think the biggest takeaway is parents matter too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Well, when I come back, I have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. One defining aspect of our culture is our favorite local pastime. The thing we love to do in our hometown and all the experiences and flavors that come with it. Chatting with me today is Tia Clark, a Charleston, South Carolina native and food and beverage veteran who started casual crabbing with Tia in 2017. She now hosts an Airbnb experience titled Let's Go Crabbing, and it's been recognized as one of Airbnb's best in the world. Well, hello, Tia, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. Thanks for having me. Well, I got so excited when I came across your story because two things. I love Charleston and crabbing was something that I did as a child with my parents. 
I'm from originally Washington, D.C., so we would go out to the Chesapeake Bay area and do some crabbing there. So for those two reasons, I really gravitated and your story resonated with me. So tell me about growing up in Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina is my hometown. I love it. I grew up in downtown Charleston. A lot of people say I'm like a dying breed because a lot of people in Charleston right now, they're not from Charleston. You know, you, you won't find many people like me anymore. I grew up in downtown. I went to elementary, middle, and high school, James Simmons, Rivers, and Burke, all in downtown Charleston. I spent almost all of my entire career since I've been working in food and beverage. Since I was about 16 years old, I've been working food and beverage jobs. And I did that all the way until I went crabbing for the first time at 37 years old. I actually just hosted an experience today, and I talk about this so often, and it just baffles me that I could live in Charleston and you visited Charleston. So, you know, it's such a beautiful place and it's right on the water. And I managed to live very close to it and not have any relationship with the water for my whole life. But I love Charleston for what it was for me. You know, my family is from Charleston. Like, that's what I'm saying about like being a, a native. Most people say they're here, but that just means they moved here 20 years ago. My family is born and raised from downtown Charleston off of Henrietta Street which is the same street that Septima Clark was raised on. And there's a lot of history and culture there. And my family grew up on Henrietta and my great grandfather built a house and my great grandmother had 16 kids. And just two of those kids had over 20 kids. So I have a very large family in Charleston. Wow. So I always tell people any part of Charleston you get into or the surrounding areas, I'm related to someone there. So I grew up eating crabs and I grew up just being raised in downtown Charleston. And then I spent most of my life in bars, working, restaurants, and I smoked cigarettes for a long time. And I quit (laughs) smoking and thought, you know, everybody always thinks I'm going to do something good for myself. And I quit smoking cigarettes. And then instantly I regretted it because my health just was, it just was a decline. And that's kind of what led me to crabbing. So for some who may not know, what is crabbing? Because when I say that sometimes to people, they kind of look at me and some don't want to ask the question, but you can tell they're looking like, what What are you talking about? Well, people crab different ways. There are different species of crabs and you can catch them in different ways. The good thing about crabs is most of them are delicious. And so that's what crabbing is. You take crabs are bottom feeders. People started crabbing with chicken necks. That's how people started crabbing. And the only reason they did that is because people didn't feed crabs what they were feeding their family. You know, the crab wasn't greater than their kids. So the crab was going to get the neck and not the drumstick or the thigh or something. I give them a drumstick in the thighs now, but that's a different story. We did the necks. <laughs> you did. The, everybody did. It's the cheapest. It was the cheapest part. Crabs are bottom feeders. And so because it started with necks, that's what people do. They take chicken and they put it on strings or in baskets and they put it in the water. And then the crab will come along and they start eating it. And then you just capture it in there. That's an easy way of doing it. People always ask me what my personal favorite way of crabbing is. And that would be the hardest way to crab, which is the old school hand lining way, where you have to actually be intimate with this crab and actually walk it about four or five feet (laughs) up from the floor. Very sneaky. And being able to scoop it up like that, I like, you know, anybody can put something that a crab wants in the water and then it comes in and you trap it. But can you really out trick a crab? Can you make it know that you're not there? 
it's really hard to do because I can tell you that that was something my father would have us do. And I think he just kind of got a kick out of it uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we would go in and you go into this shallow area and throw out the chicken neck tied around a rope and just kind of lure it in a little bit. But oftentimes they get away because they see you. And like you said, it's very hard to be elusive and not to scare them away. I'm like, I am controlling my breathing. I am hardly moving. I'm like, this is a dance, you know? Like I imagine like somebody's like composing something, like they're waving their hands in the background and I'm trying to talk to this crab and, and get it up there. And that's really fun for me, you know? You're up close with your food. You know, I ate so much crabs before I went crabbing. It was insane. And that's very important, what you just said, getting up close and personal with your food. One thing is that I love to cook. So I do get up close and personal with my food. But a lot of people who don't cook or who live in very urban areas and only go to the grocery store, they don't have that relationship with food and knowing its source or being connected to its source. Last week, I did a show on falling in love with fall. And I think the reason we fall in love with fall is because it does put us back in nature as we're kind of disconnecting ourselves from it and living in these urban surroundings. So what began that love of crabbing? What made you go to the water? Well, I would love to say that something great happened and I decided I was going to go to the water. But really, it was a story of turmoil where my health was declining and I seriously wanted to die. One of the last things I said to my wife was, I'm about to call it because I was just this was six weeks into the hives, the Bernie, like I quit smoking cigarettes in September 2016, November 2016. I had hives all over my body. They would not go away. If I got some short relief from it, and, but it would immediately come back. And it was just painful. And it was just really, really miserable. And it really felt like there was a fire going on in my body. And it was just so everything was just kind of like inflamed and hot. And it was just awful. And so I went to the hospital and the hospital couldn't help me after like a week of just giving me steroids. And then they sent me to National Allergy. And I worked with National Allergy for over a month and none of the stuff that they suggested worked. And after that, a woman there suggested I go talk to a holistic PA. And I did that. And this woman decided to put me on an elimination diet. And in a matter of five months, I think I had already lost like 50 pounds. My health, I started losing weight, the hive stopped, the pain stopped all within like the first week of this elimination diet. And then finally, the holistic PA said, I want you to get active. And I didn't know what to do. And I ran into an old family member and he suggested that I come crabbing with him. And he took me crabbing one time. And in one afternoon, I felt like somebody had grabbed me by my ankles and flipped me upside down and was shaking me very, very hard because I live in Charleston. This is my hometown. And what happened that day next to the water made me feel like I had no idea where I was. I really felt like I was lost. I was like, is the sky even blue? I was dumbfounded that I was having the experience I was having in Charleston. And then that day I was thinking, how in the world have I never had this experience here before? Like, this is crazy. And so I called my mom when I got done. I fed my family. And then I started crabbing every single day, every day. Not as a business, though, just as my health journey, 
and I would post every day to social media. I would get off the bar when I wasn't feeling good at two in the morning and I would go home and just eat Benadryl to knock myself unconscious until I had to work the next day. Some days I would get up and eat, some days I didn't, depending on how I felt. And when I started feeling really good and going crabbing every morning, like that changed everything. My days then began, I get off at two, I go home, I set an alarm, I grab my cast net, I go watch the sunrise and I throw my cast net every day. And so I would just like take the picture of like the cloud or something. And friend that I had, my fishing buddy took a picture that I had and he created a Facebook page called Casual Crapping with Tia. I did not create the page. I didn't come up with the name. My friend did and he did it as a joke. And instantly people were messaging me and they were asking me if I would take them crabbing. And I worked food and beverage for 20 years. What I thought was that people suck. It's <laughs> a crazy thing to say, but 20 years of food and beverage kind of eating me alive. I was kind of soiled on the human race. I just said no to everyone for almost a year. Everybody that asked to come, I'd shut them down. And that was because I'd never experienced anything like what was happening to me. And I didn't want some stranger to come and ruin it. So I came into like protect mode over this thing. And so I said no for a year. Then I said yes, but not for the business, just to do it, to see what it was like. And I did it. And then not long after the first time I did that, someone sent me a link to maybe try Airbnb experiences out. And I thought there was no way I wanted to do it because I didn't know anything about Airbnb. I'd never stayed in one. I hadn't taken an experience. And so I was like, I don't know what this is. No chance I'm doing this. More so, I think it was, I don't even want to let the strangers that are here in town come crabbing with me. So why would I let (laughs) other strangers come? That's more kind of what it was. But my wife, my awesome wife said, you should try it. And she actually typed it all up and submitted it. And they accepted it right away onto the platform. And then I was hosting my first experience in July of 2018. Now, Crabbing with Tia, and I take so much pride in this, is my baby that I am giving an in-your-face, really authentic, unique Charleston experience. I love that when people show up to the dock with me, the first thing they say is, we knew we were coming Crabbing, but we didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite thing. I feel like you booked this experience. We're already friends. Instantly, we're already besties by the time you get on that dock. So how do we book a casual crabbing with Tia experience? Yeah, so you can book casual crabbing with Tia at casualcrabbingwithtia.com or on Airbnb's experience platform. It's called Let's Go Crabbing. I'm booking a casual crabbing with Tia experience. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, same here. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.